Blog Talk Radio. Just a second ago, <laughs> that wasn't a ghost, that was me. I said, hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to our Sunday, August 10th, 2014 edition of Beyond the Gate, where we take you beyond the gate to the unknown, from the known, and back. Tonight, I will be your host, as I normally am. I am David Baker, and we have a wonderful co-host, our normal co-host, Sherelle. Welcome, Sherelle. Thank you, David. Um, thank you for having me as your normal co-host. I'm excited tonight. We have a wonderful guest, Mark Ireland, who's here on Beyond the Gate Radio, and I'm just excited to get the show started. How are you doing other than that? Okay, I'm surprised you didn't say, how are you doing? <laughs> but no, I'm doing great. I'm just looking out the window at the beautiful trees and the beautiful energy around the place we live at, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not wealthy, but I'm happy, and that's all I need. And, you know, something remarkable about our guest tonight, besides him being remarkable and his father, uh, I think it's funny that a while back, you know the famous ghost hunter Hans Holzer? Well, he has an amazing daughter, Alexandria. I have her book and everything. She invited me on the show, and it was amazing. And now uh, she's the daughter of a famous parapsychologist and researcher. Today we have a, a son of another famous person and let me just read some information about him so the guests that may not be familiar or need a brush up on him, here it is. Our guest is Amazing Mark Ireland. He is the son of Richard Ireland, a renowned 20th century psychic who counseled celebrities such as Mae West, Glenn Ford, Amanda Blake, and who was acquainted with the Eisenhower family. Mark is also the author of Soul Shift, Finding Where the Dead Go, a moving account of his personal quest for answers about life after death, subsequent to the passing of his younger son, Mark, of course. Mark's most recent book, Messages from the Afterlight, takes a deeper look at the psychic medium phenomena endeavoring to educate readers about this field and other forms of afterlife evidence. Now, you note I emphasized the word evidence. Now, if people are open-minded, please take a look at these books. You need to see this information. It's very important if you are interested in that aspect. And Mark has participated in mediumship research studies, serving as a test sitter, 
at the University of Arizona and with the University of Virginia. Mark has also conducted independent investigations, assisted by Tricia, Tricia Robertson of the Scottish Society of Psycho Research and neuroscientist Dr. Don Watson. In 2011, Mark published Your Psychic Potential, A Guide to Psychic Development, authored by his father in the 1970s, but never released during his lifetime. In 2012, Mark co-founded Helping Parents Heal, a national organization assisting bereaved parents. Mark holds a bachelor's degree from Arizona State University, and he lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, with his wife, Susie. Now, a little bit more information here. Mark has participated in two university studies, including one tape for the Discovery Channel. Mark has also conducted independent investigations, assisted by Tricia Robertson of the Scottish Society for Psycho Research and uh, neuroscientist Dr. Don Watson, of course, as I just previously mentioned. And uh, so Mark's, Mark has a website, and my wife put it up on the, uh, in the chat room, Sherelle. Mark's website is what? That's markirelandauthor.com. It's www. Okay? So there you go. It's also in the website. And I'm looking at it right now. It's a beautifully designed website. It has information on there all about him and, and his book. So please, please go check out his website. <laughs> so now without further ado, we'd like to welcome Mark. Mark, welcome. Here I am. We have two normal hosts and one abnormal guest. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, Mark, some people said that to me, I'm a medium to contact spirit or something like that. I meditate and open up my heart chakra and get all this love and these hearts and stuff. You know, I just can't do that. You know, I'm an ex-Marine, ex-Deputy I can't do that. However, my way of opening up the spirit I'm a Gemini, is a sense of humor, and it works. And I think that's based on love. So what's your, you know, I know this is early to ask this question, what's your take on that? Oh, humor is a, a huge uh, factor, I think, in spirituality. I think God has a sense of humor, and I think uh, it, it lightens the energy in the room when people have a good laugh. Um, when I was just mentioning to you that I spoke at the Golden Gate Spiritualist Church in San Francisco a few weeks ago, and I brought along a really talented medium, Tina Powers, who's a good friend of mine, and she did readings for the entire congregation, which were phenomenal. But she started out with a couple of jokes. I did myself. In fact, I, the one I started with, uh, did you hear, happen to hear about the two psychics that crossed a, a chance to meet in the middle of the street one day? One said to the other, you're fine. How am I? <laughs> yeah, there I you like go. That. <laughs> so that was actually my father's uh, standard joke. That was his... Uh, his favorite, most consistently used joke. So uh, I think it's it's a commonality from people I've seen who are gifted that they recognize that aspect, and it lightens your heart. It really does, you know, and if that, uh, you get that result, I believe, you know, it, a love has many aspects, just like a rainbow. I think that if you choose that particular a aspect, you know, it works because it's for positive and good and positive energy and all that. And I think opening up the spirit with positive energy instead of negative, which I believe blocks, and I know you know that's true, 
because you're, you know, you've been through all the studies, your experience, your father's famous and all that. Now, before I start from the beginning, let me just, since you mentioned the uh, Spiritualist Church in, in San Francisco, uh, I had a friend, uh, medium Tom Flynn, who hails from Cork, Ireland, but originally from, you know, England, and he has been speaking or, you know, going to that church also, and he goes to Australia and different places. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but, you know, I almost went there. I've been wanting to go there. I used to pass it on my way from work because I used to work in San Francisco and I live 30 miles north of San Francisco now in Marin County, but, you know, I know, I was just so busy I never had a chance to make it there, but, you no, know, I'm thinking this couldn't be a coincidence. You know, every time I have somebody on, there seems to be a coincidence that they've been where I've been, they went to the, that church, or some other thing. Do you believe in coincidences, or do you think things happen for a reason? Well, I think most things happen for a reason. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that everything has an underlying cause. My wife's you one of these people who always says everything happens for a reason. And I think that's largely true. I do think there's some things that maybe aren't that way, but I have seen some synchronistic type things happen that are way beyond chance that are just crazy. And so I take those um, for what they are, and I don't look at them as coincidences. No, there is definitely logic, logic in that because, no, certainly not everything's a coincidence, you know, uh, Two things can happen at one time that may seem coincidental and not really have any purpose. You just take notes, but it really doesn't have any relevance to anything in your life. However, there are times that just make you think, hmm, if that hadn't happened, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. I have, uh, in my new book, Messages from the Afterlife, there's a chapter on synchronicity, and it gives like, three or four stories that are personal examples of what, s- strong synchronicities in my own life that I witnessed, and a couple of them are pretty crazy. One is just off the charts. Uh, I can tell it now if you have time. I'd have to give you the Reader's Digest version. But, uh, no, you can, you can, yeah, you can tell it now. No, I believe that if we're in a place right now, let's, let's work this place. So go ahead, Mark. Okay. So basically, when my first book, Soul Shift, came out, I was involved with promoting it and meeting different people through social media and other ways. And there was a woman in New Mexico named Denise that I became friends with. She had lost a son um, due to an auto accident. And um, and after a short while, she had met another um, woman in at a um, national conference for bereaved parents that was held up in Oregon. And um, during this conference, um, she was talking to this woman who was visiting from Florida, and this other woman was very distraught, and she really didn't have any faith or belief system at all. So having lost a daughter herself, uh, this woman, Kristen is her name, was despondent, and the only reason she really went was to see if they could teach her how to move on or how to try and survive, you know, having lost a child. So... um, Denise wrote me back and told me about her meeting with Kristen, and I said, well, you know, I'll send her a copy of my book. Maybe it'll help or whatever. Can you get me your address? So she, so Denise got me Kristen's address. Now, this is a little confusing because it involves three different people. So um, <clears throat> when I saw the address, it was uh, in Gulf Breeze, Florida. And I thought, hmm, well, I knew another bereaved mom 
um, named Kim who lived in Pensacola, and I lo and behold found on the map that this basically the same city. It's just like going over a bridge from Pensacola to get to um, Gulf Breeze. And so I sent her a copy of my book with a note in there and suggested that she and Kim might want to talk because they've been through the same thing and maybe they could support one another. So uh, about a week later, I get an email from Kristen, who I'd sent the book to in Florida, and she's the one that didn't have really the belief set. And so she thanked me for the book, and she said she actually already knew Kim, but the way that she knew her wasn't in a positive way. And apparently her daughter had died in a car accident, having been struck by another vehicle in which um, Kim, the other woman's son, was in that car. So, you know, you've got 310 million people in this country, and I get connected to two that know each other in that way. It's just very strange. Wow. So I said to her, my immediate feeling was, I don't know how we connected this way, but all I can say is I feel it has something to do with healing. And um, a short time later, Denise, the woman in New Mexico who had originally met Kristen, she uh, told me about some retreat for bereaved moms that was going to happen up in Idaho where they were teaching the parents how to connect with their child. So she had applied for this for her and Kristen and won it, and it was all expenses paid. So the two of them went there. And after it was done, um, I got an email from Denise, and she said that Kristen's a changed woman. And then one day later, maybe two days later, I got an email from Kristen herself, and she said, uh, Mark, I just want you to know I'm no longer a physicist. I'm now an engineer. And I knew what that meant because in the last chapter of my book, Soul Shift, I said the difference between a physicist and an engineer is that a physicist insists on knowing how something works while an engineer is satisfied to know that it works. And a short time after that, um, Kristen invited Kim to attend a, she was going to put together a local bereaved parents group there in the Pensacola area, and she did. And then Kim was involved with organ donation work, and Kristen helped her. So there was a very strange relationship between these two women. Now that things had turned once Kristen had hope, and so they are now working together and supportive of one another. So those were some very long odds for that to come together. Truly an amazing story of synchronicity for Cheryl. And I like the analogy of the physicist versus the engineer. Now that is really solid. I agree with that. Now, talking about people have asked me, well, Mark Ireland has the ability or gift, whatever you want to call it, He's really good. He's undergone studies and wrote books and all that, which really helped people. His father, you know, was a great psychic medium and all that. And I've had people say, well, you know, I have the ability, but I don't want to do it. Or uh, people have asked me, get rid of ghosts, get rid of demons, do this, do that, whatever at my time. Look, my specialty is mediumship and, yes, psychic too. And I like to just do that and, you know, research speak about and teach it and that's it I don't want to go off to the side left and right and do this because after all a doctor might be a pediatrician but he doesn't want to do brain surgery or ears eyes nose and throat and so forth and so on so no or he may just want to be a medical researcher so is that the case with you are you perhaps Phil you can uh, be more valuable to mankind by you know, doing your research and, and bringing out this material to people instead of you know just doing readings and stuff like that, that perhaps your forte is 
where you're at right now? Well, I think for the current time, this is the right role for me. Down the road, it may be different. The thing that you have to realize is I grew up with this this icon of a father who had tremendous abilities that I've not seen replicated, and it's a pretty high standard to reach up to. And uh, beyond that, I wanted to be my own person. So I grew up and was more, I guess, more earthy, if you will, um, or, you know, I was just more mainstream. I went to college, got married, had kids, went into the business world. I'm still in the business world. That's how I make my living. But I was just, you know, I was always, I always knew my father's gifts were real. I appreciated them and everything else, but I never really wanted to be my dad. Um, it was a lot of pressure. You know, he had a lot of people hanging on and things like that. Um, so there were just different aspects. But So I never really considered trying to be a psychic medium myself. He always told me I was very psychic, and other mediums have told me the same thing. But you have to want to do that, I guess, to nurture that and develop it. I get flashes here and there of things. But I will say that in the last couple of years, I've had a couple of mediums really push me and test me, and then I've done some test readings, and I was I really surprised myself. So I know the ability is there in a latent form, but I haven't worked it. And I think part of the reason for that is that, you know, I came back into this field only because my youngest son passed about 10 years ago in 2004. And that's what really stirred me and motivated me and pushed me because I realized how much it helped me to go back to remember seeing my dad's mediumship and the proof. I I wouldn't even use the word evidence. To me, it was proof of life after death and how how much that helped me heal. And so I wanted other people to have that healing. And I felt like being a grounded business type person that I could kind of mediate between the two worlds. A lot of mainstream people aren't really open to psychic medium phenomena or don't know much about it or just figure it's, you know, a lot of folks in that field are very woo-woo and they can't relate to it. So I wanted to bring a more grounded approach um, and address things from their perspective to kind of open their mind and say, wow, maybe there's something to this. And my dad really had that approach too to some extent, uh, to a large extent actually. So I feel like at this point, having written a couple of books and you know, speaking uh, as someone who's observed this phenomena and um, been through some research um, tests and things like that, that if I suddenly said, okay, I'm going to be a medium tomorrow, then I kind of sacrifice the objectivity that I have today in the role that I've developed for myself. And I think this is an important role for me right now. And I've done the, I'm not saying I wouldn't do that. Um, it just doesn't feel like the time is right for me that I didn't, enjoy doing that mediumship enough or to try um, try that enough. But I know that it's there and it, it helps me, the psychic part helps me when I'm open to it. Um, but it's just not turned on all the time and it kind of comes and goes. So I don't know if that's beating around the bush and answering you, but I, I guess I'm happy with where I'm at today. It could change in the future, I'd say. That's totally amazing. And you do have a lot of people around you in spirit not forcing, but nudging and encouraging you, like your dad and your son and all those people, and all this came about, it, it came about in the waves of change, and I believe this was, you know, very tragic, but happened for a reason, to get you to another paradigm in your life, I think, and not that you were to be the medium, but, you know, you have all the information, and what you said is really totally valid. You have a right to be where you're at and do what you want to do. And nobody should ever force anybody to be 
uh, something that they're not ready for, although, yes, you do have the gift. And when it does come the time, you know, you decide if the time does come, you'll do it. But meanwhile, who cares? You have, you know it's real. It's vociferous and tangible. And you're giving people this information, and you're still helping people. You're helping your son. You're uh, still helping your dad. Your dad's helping you. But most importantly, you know, you're helping yourself. Because when you're helping yourself, you're helping many, many people. And and that's truly amazing. And thank you for telling telling us this uh, information, because now I don't have to ask you a lot of questions about, you know, uh, discovery of the gift because it's been proven to you and why you're not doing it and all that you've just told us right there so your second book tell us a little bit about your second book and that how can that help people that are grieving okay um, well as I mentioned earlier too in addition to the book I've co-founded a national organization along with a woman named Elizabeth Boyson it's called Helping Parents Heal. Now, there are other organizations for bereaved parents that do a fine job, but there's a missing element. They won't allow the open discussion of evidence for the afterlife or people to discuss their experiences or signs. I found that to be one of the most healing aspects, and the people that come to our meetings, they do improve. I think that's a big part of the reason for it. But as far as the second book's messages from the afterlife, what... I guess I have to tell you a little about the first book first uh, to set the context or set that up. Um, Soul Shift was written after my son passed. It was kind of my personal journey uh, in meeting with a number of psychic mediums, some famous ones including Alison Dubois before the show Medium hit it big, uh, Lori Campbell who was the test medium at the University of Arizona uh, for the Discovery Channel feature. Linda Williamson in England, who you may or may not know, but her claim to fame is that she read for John Edward after his mother died and delivered a secret phrase that only he and his mother knew, kind of like the Houdini thing. And just for for kicks, uh, when she started reading, she said, uh, well, your mother's here and she's showing me you're the guiding light in her, in her life. She's the guiding light in your life. He says, that's it. She was a soap opera fan. The guiding light was her favorite show and that was the secret code. But um, that book, you know, was a series of readings, but it was also personal experiences of direct contact with our son that my wife had, that my older son had, and that I had in various ways. Uh, Some in waking state direct, you know, uh, phenomena. Others in vivid, lucid dreams that were as real as waking state reality. Um, And other things that went along with that, that that were clearly OBEs, like my older son had an OBE and observed some things that uh, later proved to be true. Um, So the first book was kind of the initial journey and to give people a sense of hope. uh, So both books really go to that end, but the the new book, Messages, it still has the personal stories, the anecdotal stories, and the personal narrative. But in addition, I've added some what um, some of my reviewers call scholarly chapters. And the scholarly chapters are there to educate people to a greater extent um, about these phenomena. And one of the scholarly chapters is um, basically, I call it, let's see here, let me poke the book open real quickly, um, seeing things differently. So that chapter is totally devoted to having people reconsider their paradigm for how they view the world and the universe and how they perceive reality to be. 
um, because a lot of folks fall into the trap of just thinking that my reality, everything I see, touch, and feel is real, and that is the full nature of the existence of the universe, and that's not really the way it is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I share some things with them to open up their minds a little bit, to think twice about, you know, there are plenty of things that you can't see that are proven to exist. There are plenty of things you can't hear that do emit waves of sound and, and just different things like that. And then within that chapter, I share a lot of the historical evidence and the research that's been done since the late 1800s. Um, I also, another scholarly chapter is, and this one's similar to Kevin, you know, his, it's called Psychic Phenomenon, Mediumship in Religion and History. So there's a lot of consternation, a lot of anxiety people have over seeing a medium because they've been told by their pastor and their traditional Christian church that it's bad or wrong or whatever. So I really challenge that, like Kevin does. I come from a little bit different place. I'm a little more liberal, I guess, in terms of my religious views or spiritual views. And so I know he's he's a very traditional um, Baptist Christian. That's cool. And he does a great job with his work because he's addressing folks who are very traditional and they, you know, they view the Bible as inerrant. And so he addresses them that from that perspective. My view is a little bit different in that I, I don't view the entire Bible as inerrant. It's 66 different books authored by different people over time. And so I kind of just go through some of the, um, the scriptural validations for mediumship being okay. And I think one of the strongest is the story of the transfiguration in the New Testament where Jesus is seen by his disciples speaking to Moses and Elijah who are two dead people, you know, and that's mediumship. Um, And there's a, you know, Old Testament story of the medium of Endor who um, is consulted and, and provides communication with Samuel. And so sometimes, um, Sometimes fundamentalist Christians may say, oh, well, you're communicating with demons um, because people who have passed away can't communicate because they're in some sleep state or waiting for judgment day. Well, if that were the case, then how did Samuel speak through the medium of Endor? So I just share some examples of things um, that are in there. But I also, like from my perspective, it's like, well, most of the books that condemn mediumship are in the Old Testament, they're in the Torah, like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and but these same books are ones that say slavery is okay. It's hard for me to wrap my arms around uh, a loving God ever saying that slavery is okay because a principle like that, you know, some might argue, well, it was okay at that time. Well, I don't know. I mean, some things to me are, would never be okay because um, it's a barbaric thing to do. And it wasn't right then, and it's not right now. So, um, anyhow, I don't want to get too far because I know you've covered that with with Kevin and his book. But I do have a chapter on that. I have a chapter called Robin's Flight, and that really covers an experiment that we did after my sister well, it was before and after my sister passed away in 2006. I had an idea for an experiment that I shared with her, and it was really, you know, to help other people. I felt like if it had been if the if the experiment was successful to help other folks, I explained it to her, and she wanted to participate. And what that was really about was her. Um, it went back to the idea of the Houdini code. Are you both familiar with Harry Houdini and the code he left at the time of his death? Uh yes. 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 Okay, so Houdini uh, left this code um, 
and I think it was Beatrice Believe, and he left that with his wife, and then um, a medium Arthur Ford actually brought that through within a couple of years, but then the skeptics came out of the woodwork and alleged fraud, and they were in cahoots, whatever, so what appeared to be a great victory, um, you know, his Houdini's wife said, um, I, I believe that these words came from my husband. If not from him, then I have no idea how else this could have happened. But um, for whatever reason, the skeptics did a good job of dismantling things. And so now if you look it up or Google it, you'll probably read that it was never been, it's never been solved. So yeah. I started thinking about that. And I said, well, why, how could you do that experiment in a better fashion so that no allegations of fraud could take place? I thought, well, the biggest thing is that a living person knew what the message was. So if, if the wife had not known what the message was, they couldn't allege that. They also couldn't allege telepathy with, with her. So one of Dunninger, who was um, uh, a person of that time of prominence, had said, well, it could be telepathy with her um, to pull that information out. So what I came up with was the idea of just having my sister write a phrase and put it in a sealed envelope and not allow that to be opened um, until she had passed and a certain amount of time had gone by and we reached out to some mediums and that's exactly what we did. It was actually just one of the last days she was lucid. I gave her a piece of paper, pen, and an envelope and I had two witnesses at the doorway um, to the hospice where we were and I asked her if she would write a phrase, anything she wanted, and then to fold it, put it in the envelope and seal it. And she did that. And then um, Dr. Don Watson, who you'd mentioned earlier, he had he helped me with the protocols for the experiment. He had me send the envelope to him, and he held on to it. And then we started reaching out to mediums within three days and um, got responses from a lot of them from around the world. And um, and then I don't want to give it away because it's a long story. It was a lot of work and a lot of intrigue. But if people want to read the, that. Um, I think they'll find it very interesting how that experiment worked and some ways it could be improved on in the future too. I will say that um, it was really phenomenal to see some of the early um, returns that we got from mediums that didn't know anything. All they were told was her name was Robin. They didn't know where she was or anything else. Um, there was a medium in Scotland who had been contacted by Tricia Robertson on my behalf and he had come through with the word Arizona and then also had noted that she made it to um, made it through Wednesday, but not Thursday. And she did die Thursday, and she was from Arizona, which he's in Scotland. You have no way of knowing that. Another medium had said, a "Little House on the Prairie." Well, that turned out to be one of my sister's very favorite television shows. Another medium said, "I have my teeth back," and my sister had lost a few teeth in the latter years of her life. So it was really just interesting to see all that before we had even opened the envelope to know what was inside. But it was, a, it was a really fascinating thing to go through. Um, I've got the synchronicity chapter I mentioned, too. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the book also, uh, well, I also have a chapter on skeptics. It's called The Skeptical Neurosis. And in what it, it's not really, <laughs> I'm not out to make war with skeptics. Right. I think okay. there's a healthy, healthy skeptics out there, and a healthy skeptic is an open-minded skeptic. Right. They're just saying, okay. I, I don't know if this is true or real. I'd like to know more about it, and they're willing to look at the evidence. And there are the pseudo-skeptics or debunkers that they've already made up their mind that it's not real, and it's threatening to their their worldview, and so they're under they're attacking it, and they're just assuming it's wrong, incorrect, and they'll do whatever they can to dismiss it. 
including lying and cheating <laughs> if necessary. That's true. That's true. So, so I've got a chapter on that. And that's really for the average person to read so that when they hear, like, somebody says, well, if, if psychic phenomena is real, why hasn't anyone solved the Rand, James Randi million-dollar challenge? Well, if you know anything about it, it's, it's pretty much rigged from the other side so that the, the medium or psychic, whoever one would want to submit their gift or talent, they can't, they can't do it their way. They can't set the rules. They also have no legal recourse. They have to sign away all legal recourse. And um, it, it's a pretty crazy thing, but I, I kind of detail that in the book too for those who might be interested. But I think that's it's important because I'm trying to appeal not just to people who already believe, but I want to get people who don't or who are maybe skeptical, but at least open-minded skeptics. So that's kind of where the new book goes. Sorry for rambling on so long. No, no. That's what you're here for. We need to know so we can read that book and get a lot of information. I think that that is amazing. And I do also find that, and I hope you, I was wondering if you too did also, that once something for a skeptic, and it's not always a, a an open-minded skeptic, but a closed-minded skeptic, what happens, i found, is that um, two things. Once it becomes real to them, porters, you know, and you, you can't shake that resolve in them, which is great. Those are the type of people that, you know, they quietly go in the background. They no longer, you know, are so boastful about, oh, this is not real, blah, 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 and it, something happens for them or to them, and it changes their mind completely. That's a really good point because, you know, they've been there. They were the skeptic so they can understand the other person who may, you know, have that outlook now. Yes. I agree. I'm glad you brought all that up because, no. You know, there's an open-minded skeptic and then there's a non-believer skeptic that's stuck between these two walls and refuse to climb out the window and look back and see what else is there. And they're never, no matter what proof, believe. They refuse out of fear, I believe it is. But, you know, they have, a lot of them are haters. They have an inimical agenda against us. So, so be it. That's okay. And, you know, as far as uh, Randy's test and all, is totally rigged. Uh, Chip Coffee, if you know who he is, and I were interviewed yeah. in a magazine, like it's supposed to be an open-minded skeptic magazine. And when he interviewed me and he asked me about Randy's test, I told him that I thought that it was uh, set up to where no legitimate psychic or medium could pass it. And he was argued that his friend Randy's, no, that's not, and I said, yes, it is. I said, go publish this or what? So he actually... You know, he uh, actually, he said Chip Coffee was snarky, but uh, he published my words and didn't attack me or anything. I was like, shock, like, wow, he put that in his magazine, but he claimed to be a balanced, skeptical magazine. Now, you know, as far as proof of messages, I'm not going to talk about myself, but I'm just going to give an example. One day, Sherelle and I were in Knob Hill in San Francisco giving this family uh, they were filming it, a four-hour, it turned out to be a four-hour reading. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of issues there, the whole family. So I gave the reading, and it, you know, near the almost, you know, three hours and 45 minutes, they were, said, my father gave a message that uh, he would, you know, 
he would reveal what a medium did the reading. Can you tell me what that message is? And so I started asking the father, sitting there in the chair on the hot seat, right? Mm-hmm. And they were all gathered around looking at me and filming me that, that. And then all of a sudden I said, okay, let me see what it is. Seconds after I said that, uh, they're all looking at me and laughing because I had to untie my right shoe, rip it off, and scratch like crazy because it was just the craziest itching on my foot. And they all started laughing. I go, what? And they said, they said that's the message. <laughs> that's the sign. Oh, really? Yeah. And then uh, you were talking about other, like OBEs and... You know, I like to touch on OBEs briefly and ADCs. You know, and or can some of that be intertwined? So OBE is astral projection, basically, or out of uh, you know out of body experience. So mm-hmm. you know, we you know a lot of us, at least like you and I and my wife, have had them, and near death experiences uh, for some people. But my question is, um, you know, out of body experience. Yes, we do that because don't you believe that you know, our body is you know, is uh, made out of carbon material and it can only go so long like a machine when it needs to rest, but our etheric spirit or copy or so, whatever you want to call it, is energy. It doesn't need to rest. So, you know, when you're sleeping, it goes out and does stuff. Okay, that's cool. No, and it can even meet your spirit guides to see stuff runs or go past lives or whatever. But my question is uh, about ADC, after-death communication. Do people think they're nuts that I felt my deceased father sitting on the bed next to me and holding me, I felt his warmth and his energy, or I saw a light, I heard a voice, I saw something in there, or I had a lucid dream where he talked to me and hugged me and said, I'm okay. What is your take on that? Well, I think most people that have those experiences, if they're in grief, they find them very helpful and comforting and reassuring. I've, I've talked to a few people who have had that kind of thing. My wife has had it. Um, with uh, Like after Brandon passed, she was sitting at the foot of our bed, and she saw him as a, a shadow figure out of her peripheral vision, and then she felt his presence and knew it was him. And the very next day we got a phone call from a friend who was a musician who was recording in his studio, and we loaned him Brandon's bass guitar because Brandon was a bass player, this gentleman sings, writes music, and plays guitar. So he called um, and said, Susie, I've got something to tell you, but I don't know how to tell you. And he proceeded to tell her an experience that was identical to hers. While he was in the studio, he felt another presence in there. He saw a shadow figure out of his peripheral vision. He, he felt this other person in there. He saw flashes of white light, and he thought he was hallucinating. He went to get water and food and took a shower and all this, but every time he came back, it was not only there, it was stronger. And finally, he, he said, Brandon, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And then at that point, he was guided to rework the song, and it became a gift to us. Wow. Um, so, you know, we've had our own family's experiences with that, and a lot of people I've talked to have had ADCs. It's been very, very comforting. Now, I imagine there's some folks who might be afraid, uh, either because they don't believe or they trained to think that they're going crazy or whatever. And that's the sad part about our materialistic society because people are are just taught to poo-poo any of this kind of thing. It's just like it's it's in your mind, you're going crazy or nuts. So those kind of people are going to have a harder time with it. But fortunately, I think that most people 
embrace it and it really helps them. I think it does too. I really do because I, um, I had a similar experience. My grandmother, you know, is the one and it's, I think it's little things that I do that remind me of her. And I really believe that it helps because, you know, just with listening to his um, readings, sometimes I, I, you could feel it, you can feel it. And, you know, I don't want to just come out and say I'm empathic and I do this and I do that, but I, those, that's what I feel, you know, I feel that. So I think that it's helpful. There's now this phenomenon called induced ADCs too, um, induced afterlife communications. There's a Dr. Alan Botkin who stumbled upon this while treating some war veterans using EMDR, eye movement desensitization programming or reprogramming, um, to get these guys into an altered state. And while there, some of these soldiers would be visited by the people they'd killed in battle and be forgiven by them. And so it was the most healing thing that could come about. And then um, Dr. Craig Hogan, who worked with Botkin on the book to document this, he started working with some other people, including uh, Rochelle Wright, who's up in the Seattle area, to even further enhance the protocols. And so I know some folks who have had those, and they've basically had their own direct visitation with their loved one by going through this process. And it doesn't work for everybody, but I did. I have talked to a few people who have had it where it's been tremendously healing. For one does example, it, does it ahead. help also for? Sorry, Mark. Does it help also for po- the post-traumatic stress that they they deal with when they come back? Yeah, actually, that's the main reason Botkin started the whole thing. It was for PTS, so it does two things. You know, it does help with that, but it also gives them the confidence their loved one's gone on and is alive, just, you know, and that they can communicate with them and can visit them. It's just they've got to get into this altered state. To give you an example, um, there's, there's actually a, a person trained to do this uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and there's a couple that I know there, really nice people, um, uh, the Sanchez family, and so the, the wife and the husband were both going to have this. Their son had passed a number of years ago. And so the husband went first, and it took him a long time, but he finally got in this state, and he, all of a sudden he could see his son. And then the son communicated to him and said, Dad, this isn't going to work for Mom. She's not ready yet. And then he said, ask Mom about the color code book. And so when he came out of this, he didn't tell his wife that it wouldn't work for her because he didn't want to bias her. Um, he just figured he'd wait and see. But then he said he, uh, that the son had, um, and the son's name was Martin, had uh, brought up this color code book and said, Do you know, does that mean anything to you? And she says, oh, my gosh, just before the son had died, she had, uh, they were discussing this book called the color code book. And it was a book that talked about uh, different personality traits uh, coinciding with certain colors or something to that effect. So that was a pretty strong affirmation to him that the contact was real. Yeah, wow. That's amazing. I want to ask you about a movie, but first, uh, uh, Melanie is saying, thank you for the help. So apparently you must have helped her. Thank you for the help, and thank you for being there. That's the message I'm getting from Melanie. Well, that's that, you nice. Know, you know what that means. And then secondly... I'm uh, directed now to ask you about the movie Heaven is Real. 
Have you seen that movie? And what do you My think? wife has seen it, and I haven't seen it yet, so I have to plead guilty there. <laughs> I'd like to see it. Um, okay. And I know most people who have seen it really like it and feel that it's uh, they've done a, done a really good job. Uh, they feel the book's a little bit better, but that's always seems to be the case, I guess. Well, the basis is the son uh, was... Yes, he hasn't uh, seen it yet, though. Honey, you can't give it away. Okay, well, well I, just all right. I think it's pretty well common knowledge that it's about a little boy whose dad's a pastor, and the little boy has a near-death experience. He sits in Jesus's lap and different things like that, and um, comes back. He's able to verify some things um, that there's no way he could have known. I think the real kicker there was that he said to his mother something about a little sister, and apparently the mother had miscarried or something a, a, a little daughter before he was born, so he got to meet this, the, the, his sister in spirit, and there's some other things. So that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, uh, very validating. So we should at least take a, a check out the uh, movie, even though it's different than the book, a little bit. But, you no, know, I said, yeah, this is all cool. But I did, people said, oh, I got teary-eyed in the film. I said, yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen to me. <laughs> it happened to both of us at a point. So it's, you know, just check it out if you can. Um, so, what do you, you know, I did, you know, lots of readings for groups and, you know, you name it. You already know, you know, I've been there and done that because I started studying this in 1969 to 73 is, you know, it's the beginning of the years when I started studying it and I started using it sometime later. So, one of the most touching readings I did was this lady, you know, in the group, nobody told me anything about them. Two of the most shocking ones readings happened to me at this one group reading where I got that uh, wife and child witnessed the father and son die in the accident that happened in front of them. That really hurt me, but it's really hard to you know keep my you know try to stay calm so I can give the information out. But the one after that. The lady was, you know, we had to give her a whole box of Kleenex. She had, it was, it was a miscarriage, okay? The, uh-huh. the child wasn't born. They didn't get to know the child and grew up. It was a miscarriage, but she was really, really affected by it. And I got this five-year-old child. I told her all the information and everything like that. And I said, how long ago did it happen? And she said, five years ago. And I said, well, he's showing me as five years, blah, 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 this and that. She was so distraught. It was so sad. I had to give myself everything I could to keep from tearing up. But uh, I had to counsel her and explain to her and do everything to finally where she stabilized, you know, a bit. And I think that after a while she got through it. But um, is that is that what you do, you know, in these groups or your books? You know, do they do they help people? You know, what do you do to a grieving parent that lost somebody that's inconsolable? Well, it, there's a few things that you do, and I will say that um, it's the most rewarding part of the work that I've done here. And my book has sold thousands and thousands of copies across the world. I've gotten emails from people in the Ukraine, from Malaysia, Europe, and across the U.S. And been told at least, I'd say, maybe eight, ten times that that I that my book saved their life, or that their interaction with me saved their life. And some of them were suicidal; they were ready to cash it in after they lost their child. Um, so I think the first thing you have to do is you have to 
be empathetic and let them talk. Give them a friend, you know, just be a friend to them. And I'll return anyone's email. I've called people when they reach out to me. I don't care. Um, I will take the time to do that, and my wife will too. So if a, if a bereaved mom wants to talk to another mom, she gets that opportunity. And it's, uh, you start with just allowing them to talk. And when you share over time, and they, you get to the point where you can talk about the evidence, and maybe they get a rating with a good medium, uh, the change can be dramatic um, in terms of their healing process. That is absolutely wonderful, Bill. Because uh, many people that, whether religious or not, what's uh, a priest going to tell them? What's a psychiatrist or a doctor going to tell them? You know, sometimes they don't have any answers until they hit on a medium that tells them something that they could not absolutely have known at all, and it helps them feel better. You know what I mean? And sure, uh, Absolutely. And it, you know, it also, a lot of people go through kind of a shift too in their belief system after something like that. They will say, well, I've been a good and faithful person. How could God put me through this? But what that really boils down to is their view of what God is and what life is about, you know, and the fact that we have a path that may not always be smooth and may not always be easy, but it's an experiential path to grow our souls. That's how I view the purpose of our being here. It's a temporary existence in this realm, in this form, to go through experiences that we wouldn't be able to go through in another type of realm. And that brings about suffering and pain sometimes. Those bumps in the road, actually, some of those things make us, I think, better and more refined than anything else. It's, it's really it's sad to think that, but it is true. In my own case, I know that's true, that... Um, now, I want to think I've always been an empathetic person, but I think I'm more so now and I uh, have grown in many ways as a result of my son passing. And I would never have chosen that, at least I don't feel I would have. But um, um, the reality is the output or the outcome of that is that I've been able to be of service to other folks who have needed help, and I'm, I'm grateful to be able to provide that. Well, you're an amazing person, and we thank you very much for that. And I'd like to let the listening audience know that uh, this show is available on archives and free in Apple iTunes as well if you want to listen to it again. And Mark's website is www.markarlandauthor.com. He is the author of Messages from the Afterlife, his recent book, and Soul Shift. And he's also published his father's book, Your Psychic Potential. I highly recommend you to read these books. It's a fascinating and amazing journey. So, Mark, uh, when you were young, you know, did you have these things proved to you on your own or uh, as a witness to your father's abilities? Or, you know, what was going on in your mind? Did you think this was just normal? Did anybody ever yeah. tease you? What was going on? Actually, kids didn't tease me. They were really intrigued. They wanted to know more. They asked me all these kinds of questions you know, all the time. But it was really second nature. My father um, having these abilities, it was just in our household on a daily basis. You couldn't really get away with things. He knew what was going on, every little thing. Yep. Um, you know, going back to the, here's a story that I often tell um, about my mom and dad when they first got married. She was trying to be a vegetarian, and she'd done this for a couple of months. But then one particular day, she just got this hankering 
for beef, and she went out and got a hamburger. And so later that evening, my father came home, and when he walked in the door, the first thing he says to her is, so surely, did you enjoy your hamburger today? And so, <laughs> wow, frustrated the heck out of her. Um, and then um, I'll tell you another one that's kind of fun. When my wife and I first met, now we've been married 35 years, but uh, our second date, um, I got there late. I was 19 years old, and I said, uh, well, what do you want to do? you want to go to a movie or you want to go see my father? And she didn't really know much about it. He was doing a, a blindfold billet psychic demonstration. She goes, oh, let's do that. So we go there. Well, I'm late, as usual, being a teenager. And my father had already been completely blindfolded, and he was answering questions. So I said, well, let me get you a paper so you can write a question and send it up. So she did, and she asked, um, she wrote down a question about her mother who had not, her mom had been dating someone for a long time because she was divorced, but she'd been dating someone for a very long time and not gotten married, but the guy wanted to marry her. So she'd asked, well, when will my mother get married or will my mother get married soon? So she sends her question up, and my father eventually gets to it, and he calls her name out, first and last name, which was normal for him. And he said, uh, well, I think you've asked me a question about your mother and when she's going to get married. Well, I don't know about your mother, my dear, but you have made your choice of men, and he's with you here tonight. And then I spoke up and said, Dad, it's Mark. Susie's my date. And then wow. he said, oh, my God, I just married off my own son. <laughs> That's great. That's amazing. You know, these things have been around for ages, you know, f from written history like um, Mount Olympus, Apollo's Mount Olympus, and the Oracle of Delphi, and Edgar Casey, and you know, you name everybody. And I'm just wondering, you know, my first book, I wrote something that I thought was true that I heard that now uh, Houdini was a spiritualist, I mean, a magician, but interested in that. So he decided to go to, you know, a seance one time or for a reading, and he uh, unfortunately didn't go to one of the valid mediums. Then he went to a right. fraud. And he was burned, and now, then he, you know he's very he was very like a superstar back then. So he published all this information every week, you know, exposing frauds. Then to him, every meeting was a fraud. And I he, think he that, got very angry. Yes, I think that ruined it. And then World War Two came and all that, and after that, it's like <whistles> nothing, except for. Now they were doing it in secret. And so the age of Aquarius, after the hippie movement or whatever, the media and, you know, people started interviewing these uh, psychic mediums and they used to make fun of them. But later on, like uh, the, what's this, Mervyn, uh, one of the shows had Lisa Williams on it and then Jim Van Tragg and, you know, all these people, you know, now it's going crazy, so it's starting to come back. And uh, what do you think? What's going on? I mean, you know, there's a lot of shows now about psychic mediums and ghost investigations and the haunted place, this and that. And, you know, uh, the ghost whisperer, you know, I know they have to make it for Hollywood, okay? You know, so if it was some boring hum thing, people wouldn't watch it, so they have to add, you know, special effects and 
these things to it, you know, and a lot of it's true, a lot of it's not, or it's exaggerated, but the fact that all this is just suddenly out there, I've, I'm totally shocked, like, what do you think is going on? Do you think now scientists will start to look into it a little bit more? Do you think people will start to believe it a little bit more? Is there something going on right now that I should know about that you may be enlightened to, Mark? Well, what I will... What I can relate it to is my dad's book on psychic development, Your Psychic Potential. Now, um, this is a little bit longer, but long story short, um, my father had been gone for 12 years. When a man approached me and he says, I have something I'd like to give you, it was from your dad. He gave it to me for safekeeping at the time he died. And it was this full, complete manuscript. And I said, well, where did this come from? You know, I'd never seen it before. And he explained, you know, my dad had completed it, and it was based on his workshops that he had done in the late 60s and early 70s. And then um, I said, well, why are you giving this to me now? He said, I, I feel like I'm supposed to. Two weeks later, I had a reading with Allison Dubois before she got big. And one of the first things she said to me was, she said, your father's showing me a book, and I believe it's his book, but he's handing it to you, and it's for you to take forward do you know what I mean? And I said, yes. So I then contemplated as I was writing the forward to his book before I got it published in 2011, you know, why didn't he ever get this published? And what came to me was the world wasn't ready for it yet. There wasn't time. And ironically, another medium friend of mine, Deborah Martin, who's also been lab tested and is a very gifted uh, person. She said, I asked, she called me one day out of the blue. She says, I asked your father why he didn't ever publish it before. And he told me that it wasn't time, the world wasn't ready for it yet. So she had this same exact thing that I'd felt in my heart to be the case. So my dad must have known, maybe I had an agreement with him that I don't remember prior to this life that had bearing on the fact that I would have to carry his work forward and, and carry on his legacy because the world wouldn't be ready for everything. And so I do think there is some, I don't go off of the crazy woo-woo stuff about, you know, um, all kinds of things happening, but I do think there is some sort of shift taking place. It has to do with people's hearts being opened and to be more interested in the spiritual because we become so materialistic. Will scientists become more open to it? Well, some are, but the problem is you still have uh, academia is still very materialistic and they don't want, they won't accept anything that, that violates that. However, when you talk to some of the progressive scientists like a Rupert Sheldrake, um, someone like that, they'll tell you that when they talk to other scientists in private, that some of these scientists admit having an interest in that, but they won't declare it publicly. So that's the challenge. I know. I know. And no, uh, no people refuse to look, uh, Galileo's colleagues refuse to look in this telescope. They were afraid to, but no, now we have the telescope. And you know, radio was magic or evil. They couldn't see the radio waves, but, you know, so as time goes, we, we progressed, you know. Anyway, uh, it's www.markarlinauthor.com. And, Mark, I, I just have to tell you something that I got before the show ends and that, you know, you will eventually use your gift. Yes, you will write more. You'll be on TV again, and you're going to go to the side to the side, I'm feeling to the side to start something that you have to tell people that are grieving with med actual mediumship messages that you that they will be allowed to hear. Those are the ways is over and up 
forward, you're moving up forward. And Thank you. That's what I'm getting from you. There's going to be some important things coming in your life that will rise you and help many, many people. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being on the show. You're a wonderful person. You're, you know, we love you. We love to have you back sometime. I mean, thank you. you know, there's so much information. There's just no time to cover everything. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're a wonderful and amazing person. And so Thanks is your so father. Yes. God bless you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Beyond the Gate Radio, our Sunday, August 10, 2014 edition. And we had Mark Arlen on, a very, very amazing person. And we all look forward to seeing more from him in the future because I know there's going to be a lot more. You haven't heard the last from him. And please check out his books and his website. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Gate Radio. Stay well. God bless. And Sherelle, thank you for co-hosting tonight. Thank you very much for a wonderful show, David. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night. Good night.